We're going to return this morning uh, to our studies in Mark's Gospel. Uh, So we'll have our reading in a minute. And then, God willing, next Sunday morning, uh, we'll uh, have uh, something more Christmassy. So if we read uh, from Mark chapter 11, if you can remember the last time uh, we were in this chapter, uh, we were looking at a very Christmassy theme, that of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem, which is normally remembered on Palm Sunday. Uh, So we're still uh, looking at the triumphal entry this morning. And since it was uh, about a month ago when we last looked at it, uh, it won't be uh, wrong for us to read again. So Mark 11, verse 1. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the streets, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing, loosing the cults? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the cult to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. Now, after we had considered Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem, I had somebody ask me at the door afterwards, what does the word Hosanna mean? Uh, That's uh, one of the words uh, that the crowd uh, was shouting as they were uh, putting uh, palm leaves uh, and their clothes on the road before Jesus. So you have it in verse 9. Hosanna, and then you have it at the end of verse 10, Hosanna in the highest. And all I want to do this morning is look at the meaning of that one word, Hosanna. And I'm not sure if I'm the right person to do this, because a number of years ago, I heard our brother Saeed there preaching a very powerful sermon on Hosanna uh, when we were in India. Uh, So I'm tempted to ask Saeed to come to the pulpit, but the problem is if I was to do that, I would have to do the translating, and I don't know any Farsi. (laughs) So without further ado, let let us ask ourselves, what what does this word Hosanna mean? Have you used it? Um, As children, 
when I was in Sunday school, we used to sing a Christian song that had the word sing Hosanna to it. I don't think I understood the meaning of the word Hosanna. Have, have you got phrases, Christian phrases that you're using and you don't really know the true meaning of that phrase? Um, let me give you an example. When I was um, in uh, secondary school, uh, we were given an essay in RE class and we had to write about sin. Now, you wouldn't have essays like that today. We were given the essay, write what the word sin means about. Now, in Wales, sin is pechod in Welsh. And I was brought up in the Welsh culture and we used the word pechod, sin, in this way. We would say of somebody who was going through difficulty, oh, pechod, like poor dab. Oh, pechod. So I wrote this essay uh, defining sin as pity. <laughs> oh, bechod, oh, sin. And I got the complete wrong end of the stick. I thought that sin meant something the opposite of what it really means. Now, thankfully, by now, I do know what uh, the true meaning of sin is, that it's this horrible spiritual disease that has alienated us from uh, God and that has brought all the different problems uh, that we're facing into the world. But have you got words like Hosanna that you think you know the meaning of and you don't really understand it? Or worse than that, like this crowd, are you using the right words and I think the crowd here did know the meaning of Hosanna, but it was only a head knowledge that they had. The meaning hadn't sunk into their hearts. Why am I saying that? Well, this same crowd had people in it which five days later were to cry out just as loud, away with him, crucify him. If you ever go to Liverpool as well as going to Matthew Street, where you have the Cavern Club, where the Beatles started, you've got to go to Liverpool Cathedral. It's one of the greatest cathedrals in the country. It's set on the top of a hill. And a hundred years before the Beatles, there was a man who was the Bishop of Liverpool. He was called J.C. Ryle, and he's one of my heroes. And he wrote these words. Uh, listen to this. This is a picture of human nature. This crowd, this is proof of the utter folly of thinking more of the praise of men than the praise of God. Nothing is so fickle and uncertain as popularity. It is here today and gone tomorrow. It is a sandy foundation and it fails those who build upon it. Let us not care for it. Let us seek the favour of him who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Christ never changes. Those whom he loves, he loves to the end. And his favour endureth forever. This crowd couldn't be relied on. But Jesus Christ can be relied on. Now then, what does the word Hosanna mean? I want to open it up this morning. Well, it was a phrase that was used in Hebrew 
uh, in Psalm 118, the psalm that I read at the start. And in that psalm, it means save, O Lord. Save, O Lord. But the word Hosanna then is a Greek word. So it's a translation from the Hebrew, save, O Lord, into Greek. And we now have it translated into English. So I've just got four things to say about this meaning of Hosanna. And the first point is this. It is a prayer for salvation. Save. Salvation. What does salvation mean? Well, I think we all have a notion of what saving something is all about. Even in our culture, which doesn't understand the Bible and Christianity anymore, we're made in the image of God and we all have a conscience and even when our conscience is misguided we all have some notion that something needs to be saved don't we isn't it interesting today with um, Greta Thunberg appearing on the cover of Time magazine that the topic of salvation now is the planet isn't it interesting uh, instead of the ten commandments what have we got now we've got not just guidelines but rules it's a matter of morality now whether you are wanting to save the planets haven't you found that to be the case it doesn't matter if you break the ten commandments but woe to anyone who starts uh, breaking uh, the uh, eco commandments and and some of the people who are really keen on saving the planet aren't they evangelistic in their approach and there's no talk about sin is there and the uncleanness of sin and the stain of sin what do people talk about instead carbon footprint isn't it interesting we all have a notion about salvation but we've got it topsy-turvy now don't get me wrong a god has created this world and we're to look after it. I don't want us to uh, disregard the environment. But I'm standing in this pulpit this morning because there's something more important than the planet that needs to be saved. I love, I love this world. I love going out and walking through the woods and climbing the mountains. But this world will one day be no more. This world, this universe, will one day burn away. But there's something in you and me that is going to live forever. You know what that's called? It's called the soul. And when you hear this word salvation in uh, the Bible, when this crowd were shouting, Hosanna, save, what is meant by it is this, Lord, save, firstly and foremostly, my soul. Now, salvation does include the body. It does include, eventually, the planet, a new earth and a new heaven. But for our purposes this morning, I just want to concentrate on one thing, the soul. Do you realize that you've got a soul? That I'm not just a body. That I don't just have to look after my body. Yes, it's good to exercise. It's good to eat properly. But what about my soul? What about my spirit? That's why we've come here this morning. We've come here for our soul's sakes. 
Uh, isn't the church the gym for the soul? Isn't the church the restaurants to provide food for the soul? And praise be to God. He sent Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. He came all the way from heaven down to earth in order to save our souls. Isn't that good news? And I think it was Roger Carswell who said this. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. I used to be a teacher. I'm no longer a school teacher. I'm not an educator anymore. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. I'm definitely not good at technology. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. I'm not here to entertain you. God forbid if I was to do that. If our greatest need had been possessions, God would have sent an economist. I'm certainly not one of those. But our greatest need is forgiveness. And God has sent us a saviour. And in no way am I a saviour. But it's my privilege to point you to Jesus Christ as the only one who saves from sin. Aren't you glad this Christmas that God sent his only son into the world? Think of those um, uh, boys. Was it a year ago those Thai boys stuck in that cave in Thailand were rescued by divers? Where did the divers come from? They came all the way from this country. They went all that distance, the other side of the globe. They went to the depths of the earth to save those poor boys. Think of God's Son coming at even greater distance, leaving heaven, becoming a man, and coming all the way down to this world to save us. So that's my first point. Hosanna is a cry for salvation. Have, have you cried to God for salvation? My second point. This is a prayer of faith. Listen to it. Save Lord. It doesn't say Lord. Um, I know Jesus Christ came into the world to save, but I want to try and help him to save me. It's not a cry, Lord, I can contribute something. It's a cry of utter dependency on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou must save, and thou alone. What did Jesus Christ come to do when he left heaven and came down to this sin-sick world? What, 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 what was his one mission? Even when he was growing up, what was foremost in his mind when he was working with his father, his earthly father, in the carpenter's shop? What was he thinking about all the time? Would the wood of the carpenter's shop have reminded him, I wonder, of that wooden cross that he was one day going to be nailed to? And then when he was called to minister for three years, he was only a minister for three years. That's not long, is it? What was his message? It was his death 
And then, as we've been looking in Mark, what was the one thing he was concentrating on during the second part of his ministry? He was preparing his disciples for it. What was he focused on? Uh, The word says he set his face as a flint to go to one place, to Jerusalem. And even his triumphal entry now into this capital city, it was all focused on one thing, to die for you and for me. Uh, In Psalm 118, where the word Hosanna comes from, the context is about the king. Listen, it's the king. God's king. And it's the king having fought all the enemies of the people of God and returning victorious to Mount Zion and the gates of the city being opened wide to him and the cry going out, Hosanna, and the people crying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. My friends, those words apply to King Jesus more than to King David or King Solomon. What were the enemies that Jesus was fighting? Oh, far worse enemies than just earthly nations. What what are our enemies? You know, we're in a polarized society, aren't we? And it's horrible to see Uh, how people can speak unkind words of people who differ to them in their opinions. Oh, other people aren't the enemy. Other religions aren't the enemy. What's the enemies that are facing us uh, this day? Every one of us. I've already mentioned one, uh, the one I've come to learn the true nature of, sin. What an enemy that is. Uh, With all of our technology, we haven't been able to master the power of sin, have we? Sin, horrible. And then, what are the wages of sin? Death. What an enemy the Bible calls death. The last enemy. One day, every one of us will have to face it. And none of us will be able to beat it in our own strength. And then, the one who brought all of this upon us, the devil, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places, Satan and all of his hosts. And then what is facing us? There is hell, eternal life, eternal death, hell. Those are our enemies. And you know what Jesus Christ did? He went to that cross and by being our substitute, by dying for our sins, taking God's punishment for our sins, he cancelled death. He cancelled the last enemy. Even though we have to die in Christ, death is but an entrance into eternal bliss. He trod the serpent, the devil, down. And he opened the way into heaven so that we don't have to go to hell. Oh, I... I just want to read some verses from Colossians. I, I love the way Paul puts it. This is what a Christian is. Uh, oh, we didn't just decide to follow Jesus Christ as if we can save ourselves. Oh, no, it's him that has done something to us. Oh, we being dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh. He has made alive together with him. 
having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over it. Or when we're coming to the Lord's table later on, it's a note of triumph, the death of Jesus Christ. When we're in India, we sometimes have cottage meetings. That's a very uh, homely title, isn't it? Cottage meetings. It's like a gospel meeting in a person's house. Cottage meetings, they still call them that. They used to have cottage meetings in Wales in the 19th century. Preachers wouldn't just preach in chapels. They they would travel the country uh, preaching in poor people's cottages. And there was a cottage meeting where the greatest preacher Wales has ever produced, John Elias, was preaching this gospel. And he must have been preaching Jesus Christ dying for our sins on the cross. Uh, The message I'm preaching this morning, all of our demerits, all the wrong we have done, being taken by him. And after he finished preaching, he must have left, and a girl who heard him preach, she, she was convicted by the word, and she ran after him, and she cried out, Mr. Elias, was it for my sin that Jesus died? Was it for my sin? And all John Elias did was say what Jesus had done, and he wrote it in a hymn. I just want to read some verses. We are going to sing it later, but do you want to know what Jesus accomplished on the cross, the victory? Was it for my sin that he suffered so? When moved by his all-powerful love, he came to earth below. For in his death, our death, died with him on the tree. And a great number by his blood will go to heaven made free. He conquered darkest hell. He trod the serpent down. And a host, are you in their midst? Are you one of them? A host, a crowd from fetters, he'll set free by grace to be God's own. Have you prayed, Lord, you save me? I I don't want you to have faith in your faith. Faith in faith doesn't save. Faith in Jesus Christ My third point, this is an urgent prayer for salvation. Save, O Lord. Um, Maybe a better translation of Hosanna is save now, O Lord. That's not just something academic, is it? Uh, The word O comes from the heart. The word now means, Lord, I'm not just wanting you to save me at some point in the future. Lord, I'm in a desperate need. Oh, Lord, save me now. Save me before it is too late. The year is nearly over. This time last year, 
there were people here. I, I, I can always remember Julian. We, we, we were all fond of Julian. He would sit where Keith is sitting now in the evening. J Julian is no longer with us. He's gone to eternal glory. If we're still here this time next year, I wonder who will not be here. What, what I'm trying to say is this. This prayer that the Lord would save us is not just something for the head, something academic. It's something for the heart. It's something that we all need. I, I don't know you all, but I know this. Whoever you are, whether you profess to be a Christian or not, the most important issue in your life and mine is that we are going to be saved. I, are you saved? Are you saved? Since I've mentioned Liverpool, can I mention something else about Liverpool? Uh, when I was a boy, there were only two football teams we could choose from the two big teams, and they were both Liverpool teams. You either supported Liverpool or Everton. And because I preferred blue to red, I supported Everton. I don't know if he was Liverpool manager when I was a boy, but Bill Shankly, um, I, I don't know if some of you have heard of him, he's got a famous quote. Some people think football is a matter of life and death. I assure you, it's much more serious than that. How much more true is this? If Shankly could say that of a sport, isn't it infinitely more the case that we are dealing with eternal life and eternal death? Benjamin Franklin said, there's only two certainties in life, death and taxes. I don't know what's going to happen to our taxes with the new government. Maybe they'll go down. But death isn't going to go away. Um, I've been really helped by this little book by Jeremy Marshall. Some of you know him. John Marshall, uh, a minister used of God, his son. Uh, Jeremy Marshall, only a bit older than me. Uh, has been diagnosed with terminal cancer and he's written about it. Beyond the big sea. And this is what he wrote. When I think he had a big job in the city of London, I think. When I think of my life before I had cancer and I was a Christian then. I was a Christian then, he says. I can now see that I was fo focusing much of my thoughts, energies and time on things that ultimately don't matter. Nobody on their deathbed says, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. Or as Dr. Johnson famously said, depend upon it, sir. When a man knows he's to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. <laughs> We're beginning a new decade soon, aren't we? 2019, I don't know what the phrase is for the last decade. Whatever the phrase is, that decade is going to be over. And we're going to face whatever the new decade is going to be called. The tw 20s, 20s, I, I don't know. We've had the noughties. That, but 
10 years from now, who here is still going to be in this world? These are serious things. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my other heroes, didn't he used to pray often at the close of the service? A short and uncertain pilgrimage. Isn't that a brilliant description of life? A short, uncertain pilgrimage. Oh, my friends, the only thing that matters at the end of the day is that we know where our souls are going. That we know that when we die, we don't have to be afraid because Jesus Christ has conquered death for us and we are going to be with him forever and forever. It's an urgent prayer. I'm not here to play with you. I'm not here just to give you a talk. I'm not here even to be sermonizing. I'm here to stand, as it were, telling us that there is an eternity ahead of us. I wish I was clearer on our eternal destiny. There was one preacher in Wales, it was said of him, he had one foot in eternity, one foot on earth. Oh, that's the best place to be. Oh, do we know where our eternity is going to be? And then my fourth point. Hosanna. Save. Oh, save, Lord. Save now. And then a little later, Hosanna in the highest. This is a prayer of rejoicing, isn't it? Isn't that how most of us think of the word Hosanna? Uh, that children's chorus, sing Hosanna. It's a term of rejoicing. And if we truly see the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross over sin, death, hell, the devil, then isn't this the greatest matter for rejoicing in, in the whole universe? There are angels in heaven now. Uh, one of them came down to Mary and announced Jesus' birth, the angel Gabriel. They are perfect. They don't have sin. And they're able to worship God in bliss, but they can only worship God as their creator. They can't worship God as their savior. And we can. Hosanna. It's a matter of rejoicing. I know some of you don't know when you became a Christian. That doesn't matter. The most important thing is that we're in Christ. But for those of us who can remember the day when we fixed our choice on him as our saviour and our God, I can say with absolute honesty, that's the happiest day of my life. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice on thee, my saviour and my God. The bliss that I experienced then I know I will experience again in heaven. Oh, we still rejoice, don't we, in his salvation. Sorry, I can't stand still here. <laughs> I read these words in um, Spurgeon. You know, Spurgeon was as sound as anything. He, he, he was the great 19th century preacher. He wasn't into excess. He wasn't a Welshman. So he, he wasn't into emotionalism. Not that all of us Welsh are into it, but you know what I mean. <laughs> this is what Spurgeon said. He said it about the word Hosanna. Would it be amiss if we were to indulge in a hearty shout for our king? May we never grow enthusiastic? 
You know, are we afraid of the word enjoy, excite? Shall we never cry hallelujah? Shall no hosannas burst from our lips? Surely, if our king will come into the midst of his church again, if he sends revival, and end these dark days of doubts, we must and will shout, or else the very stones will cry out. I believe if God was to move by his Spirit in this place again, we wouldn't be able to stop shouting hosannas and hallelujahs and glories. I don't know if it's a sign of the times we're in, but I remember going to Welsh meetings, evangelical meetings, and there would be much parthi. I don't know what the English word is, but it means what Spurgeon is saying. People responding to the word uh, with verbal uh, responses. Amen, diolchido, gogoniant, such words. It's very rare these days, even in Welsh evangelical circles. Is it because there's a spiritual dearth? Oh, I don't want any of you to feel that you can't say hallelujah sometimes. Uh, I can see you sitting there, Brian. I can remember Christmas many years ago. We were singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And after we'd sung, I just remember seeing you putting your arm up in the air saying, yes, yes, hallelujah. Jesus is victorious. Yes. Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son. Well, it's time for me to wind down. We're going to come to the Lord's table shortly. You know, in Psalm 118, this prayer, Lord, save, it was used on the day that the Lord had made. I know every day is the Lord's. But today of all days is his day, the Lord's day. And those of you who have come to believe in Jesus Christ, how many of you came to faith on a Sunday? I was saved on the Lord's day. Oh, may this be a red letter Lord's day for someone in this crowd, if I can put it like that, this morning. Do you know the meaning of Hosanna? Praise God if you do. But have you prayed from your heart, not just in your head, for salvation? Not trusting in your own faith, but Lord, save. And are you desperate? Save, not tomorrow, but save now, before it's too late. And if you are trusting in him, are you rejoicing in Jesus Christ? as your Lord and Saviour. Tozer said, praise is the missing jewel in evangelical churches. May that jewel shine in this place for his namesake.